1: into a world of hurt
0: is it freedom or is it force let's have a conversation
1: and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, valued. You have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, we were made for this moment. And thank you to the team that I work with. That is producer Luke and producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Blessed to work with all of these amazing people. And check out my website. That's Kim Munson, dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues. Through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom, if something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And my friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether or not it's their rights, their property, their freedom, livelihood, opportunity, or lives via force. And force could be a weapon policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, the World Economic Forum, Davos Globalist Lease Agenda, or a whole bunch of IRS agents uh, sent out to swarm upon the American people. Uh, We are so pleased to pre-record these shows for you for Christmas week. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have on the line with me Dr. Jill Vecchio. You know her. Uh, She is uh, one of the few people that actually read the complete Unaffordable Care Act, the Obamacare legislation. And that's really how I met her. So I'm thrilled to pre-record this show for you. And uh, this is going to be an important connecting the dots uh, from Obamacare to COVID. Uh, and so, Dr. Jill Vecchio, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kim. And Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy
2: Hanukkah, all that stuff to everybody out there.
1: Absolutely. And the New Year is right around the corner. We have work to do, my friend, uh, a lot of work to do. But, Jill, you and I met uh, I had heard, I got something came across my desk, that there was a doctor who was uh, giving presentations regarding uh, the Unaffordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, and it was you. And uh, I went to the meeting, was totally impressed, and that is how we initially got connected.
2: That's right. And then we went through leadership program of the Rockies together, and uh, we ended up having our own radio show, and you carried
1: it on from there. Yeah. Yes, and as I th- th- look back at what you were talking about, and really uh, raising the, the the warning signs regarding Obamacare, and then we look at what has happened here in twenty twenty two, you know, twenty 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 two, it's all connected, isn't it?
2: Absolutely, one hundred percent. And and we've been talking so much about the great reset starting with agenda 21 this this whole the plan to have the one world government and all that requires that government increase especially in the united states because it's larger that way in other countries but the united states didn't have as much government control over health care and industries and things like that like other countries do so they had to they had to figure out a plan to increase government control and one of the easiest ways to do that is to control health care and that's what Obamacare uh, that's what Obamacare set out to do and I believe 100% uh, that Obamacare was um, put together in such a way that it was intended to crash the health care system in the United States and take us to uh, a true crisis, right? There was, there really wasn't a medical, a healthcare care crisis in the United States. There wasn't, and I'll take anybody, I'll debate anybody on that. But they declared health care to be a crisis so that they could then justify government coming in and taking control of health care, right? That's what they have to do. You have to create the crisis. And they didn't really... They created a crisis through Obamacare. Obamacare ended up creating a health care crisis that we have now, but there wasn't an actual health care crisis. It was messed up, definitely, largely because of government interference in the market system. But Obamacare really accelerated the problems that were already present in health care.
1: Well, and as I've looked at... Healthcare, again, looking back, so gosh, was that 2011, 2012?
2: 2010, yeah, yeah, 2000,
1: I think it was March
2: 2011 that it officially passed.
1: Okay. And as I now have looked at, at for example, the hospitals and the pharmaceutical companies, they all were involved in this whole Obamacare thing as well, correct?
2: Absolutely. And it was, it was uh, you know, when they, when they passed. Some of this legislation, when they, when they passed the, um, what was it, the Federal Reserve Act that set up the Federal Reserve in 1913, the first time they presented it, it failed. So then they came up with a little trick for saying, oh, well, the uh, Wall Street and the bankers are saying this is going to be a disaster. And everybody then, the, the, the population went, said, oh, well, if the banks don't like it, then it must really be good, you know? As, and I think Obamacare was kind of the same thing. The insurance company said, oh, this is going to be horrible for us. And everybody said, good, let's stick it to the insurance companies. And they right. passed Obamacare, and the insurance companies have been making out like bandits ever since.
1: Well, and uh, Big Pharma, do you think Big Pharma was involved at all with Obamacare?
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, And, you know, th- th- everybody had their fingers in this. We have no idea how many different authors – there were, but it also started with Hillary Care. Obamacare was just Hillary Care 2.0. So they'd been working on teams of people have been working on the legislation that ended up being Obamacare. That ended that had been in the works for probably decades. Worked on by you know insurance com you know all the stakeholders right mm-hmm. insurance companies corporate health care, um, certain doctors groups, uh, pharmacy big tech uh, because you know, I mean, electronic health records. Had a huge impact So they have had So many people had their fingers in this And again this was One fifth of our economy was healthcare, care But it really did affect every Single aspect of Our entire economy Because it affected employers So much
1: Well and one of the first things That I think that we saw There has been this pressure on Your uh, Everyday uh, general practitioner physician. Uh, I remember talking with a doctor and uh, he, ended, he ended up going to kind of a, a blend of the concierge style of, of medicine. But he said, I, I, I love medicine. I love what I do. But I felt like I was a really bad businessman because I wasn't making any money. And, um, and I'm happy for people to make money when they do a good job and provide a good service. And um, But a lot of it was because of rules and regulations. But I think that that was by design because a lot of uh, practices ended up just selling out to big corporations. And we uh, then lost a lot of the uh, the patient, uh, doctor-patient relationships when that happened. And I think that was by design, Jill. Absolutely. And some of
2: the things that doctors already, at the time that Obamacare was passed, they, because of the coding books that that, that uh, the AMA had exclusive rights to publish and sell via because the federal government granted them exclusive rights to these coding books the American Medical Association was more made a lot more money from the coding books than they did through their memberships so they were actually more beholden to the federal government and therefore they backed Obamacare be, but the the coding all of the Paperwork, rules and regulations, um, trying to get the, the billing and coding. Doctors' offices tended to have an overhead between ten and forty percent of their income, and that's and that's not even and that's not even counting um, like rent. <laughs> so, so their their overhead. Was huge and so much of and, and so much hassle. And there were there were, Obamacare increased the rules and regulations multiple, multifold And then the coding books went from seventeen thousand codes that they had to maneuver and work with up to one hundred forty thousand. Oh my
1: gosh!
2: That the doctors had to had to work with. Um. And there were it was there were some crazy ones and really funny ones, but it was it was bizarre, like like being hit by a bird you know <laughs> literally hit by a bird with a code oh and then it had to be different kinds of birds i mean is weird stuff anyway then so then then they had electronic health records and that cost physician practices between 30 and 50 thousand dollars bam i mean you had to invest 30 to 50 thousand dollars in electronic health records and all that was was for data collection that's just pure data mining by the federal government. And you started to, what you were required to fill out for these electronic health records created a report that was absolutely useless to anybody trying to figure out what was going on with your patient. So if you were, you know, a consultant and you filled out all this, all this because you had to fill out every single line or you didn't get paid for your service. So you fill out every single line even though you're a specialist. And, you know, you're supposed to say that you looked at eyes, ears, nose, throat, even though you're an orthopedic surgeon. You know, it's stupid, absolutely stupid, but it was all data mining. Um, And so all of this expense, doctors are going, I'm I'm done with this. This is ridiculous. I can't manage all this. And Obamacare increased the penalties for doctors not... Complying with absolutely every little rule and regulation, and you know, I think I think there was something like a hundred thousand. There's going to be at least a hundred thousand new rules and regulations, one hundred thousand. And it didn't matter if you didn't even know the rule or regulation existed or had been formed; you were responsible for following it, and the penalties were tens of thousands of dollars for each instance. You know, the other thing—absolutely ridiculous. The doctors sold their practices out. To hospitals, or I'll say quit entirely, or retired early. It's crazy. We lost a lot of doctors, and that's when corporate healthcare absolutely exploded and took over. Nine, it was um, something like, what was it? Ten percent of physician practices were owned by hospitals and and large groups before Obamacare passed. Now it's ninety percent. There you know, are almost no physicians in private practice anymore.
1: Big business and big government like each other. and this was all, I, I think by design, this was not by accident, Dr. Vecchio.:
2: Exactly 100 percent. and it all goes and it all goes right back to the great reset. And it, you take it all back to the great reset. It's all about government taking over taking control, it's, it's
1: consolidate and destroy. Oh, my gosh. Consolidate and and control, right? Yep. Consolidate, control, and destroy. So we're going to go to break. The show comes to you because of a lot of great sponsors. And one of those great sponsors is the Roger Mangan State Farm Insurance Team. And they understand that there are unknowns that can keep you up at night. And that is why Roger Mangan can help with your life insurance and health insurance needs to replace lost income. Call Roger Mangan at 303-795-8855 for a complimentary appointment. Like a good neighbor, Roger Mangan Insurance is there.
3: So I just got the State Farm personal price plan on my car insurance. So you told your agent you play the bagpipes for your dog? Ah. What? No, I didn't get that. Personal, my agent just helped me create an affordable price, just for me. Okay, let me show you what I've been working on. Hey, Buster! Prices vary by
4: state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary.
5: Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no obligation initial consultation at ThreePointsFinancial.com. That's ThreePointsFinancial.com.
6: No matter how you define it, inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at KimMunson.com. That's M-O-N-S-O-N.com.
1: And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. I'm thrilled that we are broadcasting this show that we've pre-recorded with Dr. Jill Vecchio. Uh, She's one of the few people in America Uh, congressmen, senators, they voted on it. They didn't, they didn't read it. But actually Dr. Jill did read, uh, the Unaffordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. And Jill, you introduced me to this quote that we'll use for our quote for the day. And this is from Dr. Benjamin Rush. He was one of our founding fathers. And he he was a physician. He said, unless we put medical freedom into the Constitution, the time will come when medicine will organize into an undercover dictatorship to restrict the art of healing to one class of men and deny equal privileges to others. The Constitution of the Republic should make a special privilege for medical freedoms as well as religious freedoms. They didn't do it. But my gosh, he was describing what is happening now in America.
2: Well, exactly. And and it's funny because it's like medical, um, health care, freedom, and uh, private property rights. Remember that that Mm -hmm. wasn't specifically included in the Constitution. The founders thought that these things were implied. They thought that, you know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, that all of that was implied. That not being able to take people's stuff without due process implied property rights. (laughs) Apparently... Our government has uh, decided that they're going to reinterpret the constitution, and those implications aren't there anymore, well, which and- is really which is really sad. Uh, but yes, the, the the minute government controls your health care, they really control your life, and we found that out with COVID, didn't we? We did. We- uh, so, so Obamacare. I can go through some of the things that COVID accomplished in, and we've talked about these before. In in um, in our talks on the Great Reset, but there were things that the world and the one and the globalists, the one world government people and people who want federal government control of everything, they accomplished certain things through COVID. Right, the crisis gave them an opportunity to do things that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And. Well- so much of it could never have happened if Obamacare hadn't happened first.
1: And to your point, though, they've been working on this for decades, so this didn't just happen overnight. And it's it right. really uh, it's towards socialized medicine, and uh and so I think you yeah please go through some of these correlations that you've uh, researched.
2: Right. So uh, we've already. Said, Obamacare was able to consolidate and then control do- and therefore control doctors. Once doctors are are employees rather than employers, once they're employees, then the corporate healthcare uh, entities that are paying the doctor's salary can tell them exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and doctors are absolutely under their thumb, or they lose their credentials everything that they've worked so hard for in training is just is gone they can literally doctors were forced to stop they lost their credentials they lost their licenses if they fought against the covid mandate said anything if they prescribed ivermectin or HCQ, they could lose their credentialing lose their license and doctors did i mean it was unbelievable how much control corporations now have over all of our healthcare decisions and believe me as a patient you're much better off with a doctor in private practice than under the thumb of corporate health care i practiced medicine for i don't know since 1980 i think i graduated in what did i graduate 89 graduated in 89 practicing medicine that long and the the worst part of my practice without a doubt was dealing with hospital administration absolute nightmare you were always it was always a battle hospital administration outpatient administration health south and stuff i mean it was it was absolutely the the nightmare of your existence as a physician And, and with covid they absolutely double tripled quadrupled down on their control of doctors and, and I still don't forgive the doctors for not at least trying, more doctors for not trying to stand up and say, hold on, hold on, hold on. But, and they didn't, because they were so afraid of losing their entire livelihood, their entire career. Their entire career would be gone if you don't have your life.
1: And this could not have happened without the consolidation, the control, the consolidation that occurred because of Obamacare. Because if you had a whole bunch of independent physicians out there uh, and you had um, now the CDC has had great control over our physicians as well. Although I think a lot of people are waking up because as we now look in the rearview mirror, there were things that were told to us that were not true. Uh, there were things that were tapped down, such as you mentioned treatments like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and doctors were threatened that if they prescribed this, and, and here was something to try to help people, uh, and uh, they were threatened, and as you mentioned Many doctors capitulated, but it it could not have occurred if we had all of these independent physicians. It could only occur when uh, you had corporate medicine that had gobbled up a lot of these private practices because of governments, rules, regulations, and penalties.
2: Exactly. And then, you know, we talked about the electronic health records that was just data mining. Think about without electronic health records, they could not have had the whole vaccine passport surveillance that that set off allowed people to accept the notion of uh the 5g biometric surveillance you know being followed on your phone because of this pandemic because of this health health emergency of covid that we know our government helped to create to release on us then All of all of these giving up more and more of our personal data, our electronic health records created the monster of other people believing other entities, believing that they had a right to our personal medical information. Well, and otherwise, I mean, vaccine passport, all of it's a violation of of HIPAA, all of it. Right. There, it's nobody's business if you had this vaccine, but because of the pandemic crisis and, and their fake, they, they lied to us about how dangerous the virus was. I mean, I'm not saying it didn't exist. I'm not saying people didn't die from it, but they way over exaggerated how dangerous this virus was in order to have us give up more and more of our freedom.
1: But, uh, but More and more
2: of our personal
1: control over our personal lives. But they were also lying about uh, treatments that worked. So there are people right. that died from this that, if they received treatments, very possibly would not have died from COVID, correct?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think there's medical negligence everywhere. And then you talk about the reimbursement, right? The, the federal government reimbursing uh, uh, through medicare medicaid and the insurance companies reimbursing insurance companies for this coding stuff remember if you got admitted if a hospital admitted somebody and the, the person had a positive covid test then covid was used as a code that the hospital could then make money off they'd get paid if they had more covid patients they'd get paid more if they had, and granted they were losing money because they couldn't operate on on a standard level because they were shut down. Most most of the hospital stuff was shut down, but um, they were able to make up a lot of money if they had COVID as part of the diagnosis on any patient. And any patient who had that COVID code and died, even if it wasn't from COVID was considered a COVID death. So you think about how much manipulation happened just from that money aspect. And again, corporate medicine, the corporate medicine would tell the doctors, yeah, we can make money off of this COVID thing. That's the only way we're
1: going to make things work and make.
7: Wow. Big dollars.
1: So if wow. you want to keep your job and want us to keep paying you, you better you better play the game. here. Play the game here. Big business, big government. They like each other, but it's not good for everyday people. Uh, I'm talking with Dr. Jill Vecchio. Thrilled to do do this pre-record. And before we go to break, I am blessed to work with amazing partner sponsors. These are people that I know personally and that I, I highly recommend them. And one of those great partner sponsors is Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz with Three Points Financial. Uh, They are a fee-only firm, and they help with um, uh, the three main points of your financial success and security. And Mary Alpers is on the line right now. Mary Alpers, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year.
7: Thank you so much. And our three points are retirement planning, investments, and tax strategy and tax preparation are together the third one. And uh, what I wanna talk about today is trying to strategize your 2023 tax year. And I like to encourage people to take some time to um, sit on their own, or maybe do it as a family even, and write out some things that matter to you, such as what you want to accomplish, um, both financially and in quality of life. These goals secure in your mind where you're going and why. You can even map out 12 months if you're a detailed sort of person that includes work, time for family, hobbies, new things to try, people you want to spend more time with, and plan on how you want to spend those precious 365 days of 2023. I mean, my last 365 days seem to go awfully fast. <laughs> um We cannot know everything. We don't know what the government may do to change taxes, but as of now, those that were turning, who turned 72 in 2022 have to take their first required distribution in 23. There was a lot of talk that that was flexible, but that's what we know now. We don't know if the government will decide to close businesses over health concerns or controls. We don't know how inflation and taxes will affect the job situations, but we do know that work can help you survive anything financially. And we encourage you to save what you can. Put aside 10% of your income, that's a healthy habit, or as much as you can. And then most importantly, understand what it costs you to live even during inflationary time. And there's some guidelines for retirement savings that I'll talk about in a couple weeks, they've gone up. How much you can put in a 401k and an IRA and a simple. And so there are some little areas that you can add to savings for the long term. But right now, at the end of the year, we recommend a budget that lists your fixed assets such as mortgage, rent, utilities, those kinds of things. And then list what has a little bit of breathing room, such as food and clothing and then list your discretionary expenses, pretty much what brings joy in your life, vacations and um, things you do with your family or friends, And, and then list them in that order in groups, and then look at the total. And we actually have a budget sheet that does this, and we'll be uploading it to our website to help you organize that under financial tools. And our goal is to help everyone that is interested in this get as far along as they can in preparing and understanding their finances, because then they'll tend to make better decisions. So we wish you all a very
1: happy new year and a very knowledgeable new year. Oh, I love that, Mary Alpers, and happy new year to you as well. Looking forward to the opportunities and the challenges of 2023. Thank you so much, and happy new year to you and yours. Thank you. You too, Kim. And we'll be right back. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M O N S O N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And uh, thrilled to do this uh, pre record with Dr. Jill Vecchio. And the show comes to you because of all of you, um, the support that you all give us, as well as our, our sponsors. And a sponsor of both the Kim Munson Show and America's Ve- uh, Veteran Stories is Hooters Restaurants, and they have five locations. That's Loveland, Aurora, Lone Tree, Westminster, and Colorado Springs. And they have all kinds of specials. A great place to get together to watch the games, but they have lunch specials and happy hour specials, Monday through Friday. Wednesday is Wings Day. You buy 20 wings, you get an additional 10 for free. And they are sponsors of my show. It's a great story about freedom and free markets and capitalism, and you can find that at my website. Uh, And again, uh, Dr. Joe Vecchio is on the line, and we're drawing... The connecting the dots between Obamacare and COVID, and it is absolutely fascinating. Uh, and Jill, you'd said that this was uh, this is the mantra of government: control, consolidate, and destroy. And so they had destroyed really the independent physician through the Obamacare rules, regulations, penalties, all that stuff, and it set the stage for the COVID coercion.
2: Right. Exactly. And and you kind of. Um... What we've already talked about with with complicity of corporate health care, then forcing complicity with uh, with the doctors um, and CDC being allowed to control so much between deciding what's misinformation and what's scientific truth, manipulating numbers, absolutely taking control of this big um, inflated crisis uh, without factual reality um but the, the, that you can if, if all of that the so obamacare set the stage for this kind of con- level of government control and then this level of government control over the healthcare aspect ended up crashing our entire economy interrupting the food chain um creating a uh, fear in the people that just allowed more government control Uh, again the biometric surveillance collapses of small businesses Uh, elections change it changed our election process and now and it still changed our election process again in 2022 Um, massive spending worldwide so creating massive debt i mean you think about all of these things happened during covid But they could not have happened if Obamacare had not set the stage for corporate health care and government control over this pandemic.
1: Well, and this all relates then to the Great Reset, correct?
2: Yeah, exactly. Right. And all these other countries have had single-payer health care, socialized health care for so long, um, and certainly... COVID uh, increased a lot of their this, a a lot of their government control for the, from a lockdown and economic standpoint, but they already had such consolidation of health care that it that part wasn't so much of an issue. Um, as, as it wasn't in, in changing the entire milieu of how medical decision making is made, uh, it had the biggest effect on the United States. And it could only have that, and needed to have the biggest effect in the United States in order to get us closer to what the European and other world, world, world countries around the world um, had for government control over health care. So that it was a huge step
1: for the United States. Does that make sense? It does. Now, I think that there's some positives on, on all this because, Jill, as you were uh, giving these presentations when Obamacare was uh, being proposed and passed, you were talking about socialized medicine, med- control of medicine, uh, of health care. And a lot of people, we couldn't get our brains around what that could really look like. But we have now lived through that. And to have... Um, Government agencies um, not tell us the truth about a particular virus to try to get people to take this vaccine on a mass basis uh, for uh, employers forcing employees to get this vaccine. It seems to me like there should be uh, some possible legal ramifications from employees that have been injured by these vaccines to the employers that force them to Take it because, um, from a governmental standpoint, back in the early '80s, the the uh, pharmaceutical companies were granted immunity uh, for vaccine injury um and uh, the government took took that that over and I guess there's a pool that people could apply to but you know anything with the government it would be very difficult to get something approved. Um, so anyway, it's all connected and but it was difficult I think for a lot of us to understand it but now we're living in and it makes it makes complete sense now.
2: Well and, and one of the other things that Obamacare uh, helped set up for this, pandemic was uh, Obamacare set set up the takeover of vaccine programs by the federal government. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I went through all of my, I had a slideshow that went through every section of Obamacare and by golly, that was one of them and I remembered that at the time And, and almost immediately after Obamacare was passed as a physician I was forced to take the flu vaccine every year or i would lose my credentialing i could i could either and if i didn't take the vaccine i had to wear a mask all day every single day all day Sounds familiar Mm -hmm. all day every day i had to wear a mask even if i wasn't sick all day every day from october through march during flu season I had to wear a mask every day if I didn't get the vaccine, if I refused the vaccine, or if I couldn't have the vaccine, like if I'd had a prior allergic reaction or something. Or else I'd lose my credentials. So that was, that was, all that was a setup for COVID. Don't you and think that already this... already place for years, and the doctors
1: were already used to it. So it's been like this conditioning. Uh, you know, they, they right. talk about the frog and the... pot of water and it's cold and he's swimming around and they continue to increase the temperature until the frog is boiled it's like conditioning and that's why we need to to say no when we're starting to see the the first parts of these ramifications of conditioning to make us compliant
2: right and you know this is weird too you remember um uh, you had a, that woman on, on your show who went to her doctor to have some drains taken out after sinus surgery. Oh, And right. because she hadn't been vaccinated, her doctor somehow justified in his brain not giving her pain meds right? to have those... I mean, that, that's just... That's
1: I forgot about that.
2: Abuse. That's, that's assault. And that is absolute patient abuse. But because of this COVID, you think about how nasty what some healthcare providers did to their patients and didn't do to their patients and forcing people to to have vaccines and treating them differently or refusing to treat them refusing organ transplants because somebody didn't have a covid vaccine you think about that stage is now set that was a brand new precedent violated Latent violation of the Hippocratic Oath. Of course, now the Hippocratic Oath is being determined by the graduating medical students like they have any idea, really. I mean, this is craziness. So now, now that the stage has been set, that, that portion of this uh, kind of grooming process that, that doctors have been undergoing and healthcare people have been undergoing for years now, that is a huge step that really scares me that really scares me because now doctors have have stepped over that line where they're willing to not all obviously but there are enough doctors that are willing and 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 not punished for abusing their patients withholding care if, for for misbehavior i mean that's
1: frightening well, it is it's absolutely frightening and it is unbelievable because the Hippocratic oath was first of all to do no harm right right so and we've seen it you treat each person as an individual, and now the
2: now some of these medical schools are changing their the oath that they take at graduation instead of instead of you know just an updated version of a Hippocratic oath, the oath that they're taking is now instead of taking care of the individual based on their individual desires and needs and blah, 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 you take care of the the patient according to what's best for society as a whole.
0: Oh Think my about gosh. that,
2: folks. Ha- hence, hence how they handled COVID. What was best for society as a whole? Well, everybody should be vaccinated, which is a big lie, right? There's a, just based on a series of lies 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 from the federal government pharmaceutical industry cdc everybody and then forcing people to do something against their will and punishing them if they didn't because it wasn't for the good of society as a whole or what they thought was not good
1: for society as a whole. And one has to ask, and this is where the Founding Fathers would realize this, is who defines what is good for society as as a whole? And right. uh, that is uh, that is the opportunity for tyranny once we get to that. So, hey, Dr. Jill Vecchio, we're going to go to break. Uh, fascinating conversation. We're connecting the dots between Obamacare and COVID. So we're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, uh, the USMC Memorial Foundation is i <laughs> a uh, a nonprofit that I just dearly love. They are raising money to remodel the Marine Memorial out at Sixth and Colfax. And uh, my friends, it is so important to honor, remember these stories of those that have been willing to give their lives or gave their lives so that we can live in freedom. And uh, so you can help them as they're raising money for this uh, Marine Memorial uh, remodel by going to USMCMemorialFoundation.org. That's USMCMemorialFoundation.org. We'll be right back with Dr. Jill Vecchio.
9: Every family needs a healthcare team that has your child's best interest as the priority, and Roots Medical is proud to offer exactly that. At Roots Medical, we strive to empower and educate both parent and child about the importance of gut health, how to implement healthy changes in the home, and of course, all of the benefits that come with a fully optimized immune system. Same day and sickness appointments are available and easy to schedule. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. That's R-O-O-T-S medical.net. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your healthcare concerns.
3: Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881.
4: You want a gun, ammo, and outstanding training, so Franktown Firearms is the right place for you. The train staff is available for your questions and will give you the freedom to browse their large supply of firearms and fully stocked ammunition without any pressure. Your comfort level in the store is their priority. You'll get expert answers whether you're buying or not every time you visit the store. You want a knowledgeable gunman, not just a salesperson, when you're thinking about buying a firearm or learning how to use one. You can trust the staff at Franktown Firearms. They don't make commissions on any sale, so you know they are looking out for your best interest. They're sure that you will leave with a smile because no matter what your needs are, they will help you to be confident in your decisions and purchases. Their low tax rate and at or below MSRP cost will keep you smiling. Visit klzradio.com/franktown today. That's klzradio.com/franktown. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made.
1: Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson dot com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And Dr. Joe Vecchio, it's great to pre-record this interview with you connecting the dots between Obamacare. And COVID. And there's all kinds of force in this whole Obamacare thing. And it's through um, rules, regulations, penalties, compliance, control, coercion. All of those things are the opposite of freedom.
2: Well, exactly. And let's go back for a second and, and say, you know, they, they said there was a health care crisis, there were 47 million uninsured people. Um, uninsured or underinsured people. Um, Funnily, uh, after Obamacare took effect, there were still 47 million uninsured people. The problem is the policies were so expensive that people who previously took the responsibility to pay for insurance, health insurance for themselves, could no longer afford to do that. So we had 47 million people who previously had insurance who were completely booted out of the market because they could no longer afford the ridiculously high premiums. The people who were newly insured under Obamacare were newly insured under Obamacare policies and Medicaid and the Obamacare policies of of, a vast majority of the newly insured were getting government subsidies, so that's not exactly that wasn't progress, so they didn't solve the problem at all. They created a new problem. Obamacare didn't solve the problem; it created a new problem, and now we've got all these more illegal immigrants and everything else, so that the system is just going to crash all over again. but you think about the the all insurance policies got much worse, all of them. Instead of just having a few high deductible policies with catastrophic coverage, which was an option for people, were using health savings accounts. It was an option before Obamacare. Now that became the norm. Only it wasn't a catastrophic policy, and the price at least doubled or tripled. So that's mm-hmm. what that's what Obamacare. It, it didn't solve any of the things it was supposed to. The justification for having Obamacare was a complete lie, and they absolutely didn't accomplish anything that they were using as an excuse for passing
10: Obamacare. Does
1: that make sense? Yes, not a thing. But what what their ultimate goal was, was to control. Now, right. remember then, through COVID... Uh, they were using government programs, Medicare, Medicaid, that, uh, and they were kicking around, even Social Security. They were they were kicking around the narrative that if you refuse to take the COVID, uh, air quotes, vaccine, uh, it's actually still an experimental drug. If you refuse right. to take that, then you would not have these uh, government health care uh, Programs um, provided for you. I don't know if that happened or not, but I know that they were talking about it.
2: Yeah, I, I, to my knowledge, that didn't it didn't happen. But uh, but but physicians who had patients who took care of patients that had Medicare or Medicaid or some government program, which is virtually every practice, you had to comply with all the CDC guidelines. You had to push the vaccines. You had to. Um, you know, wear masks and lock down for this and all that stuff. So everybody who took any money from the government for health care for any of their patients um, had to comply with everything the government said, which was all based on lies. And they were lying to us and it was based on lies. And you and I knew it and talked about it a long time ago, but now we're finding out that, yeah, every, every single thing that we said is absolutely, was absolutely correct. And, and it was all a
1: bunch of lies. And the, a positive thing is that the light is being shown on this. But Jill, looking into the future, uh, and um, recently had Pam Long on the show talking about here in Colorado, there is legislation that is uh, in the works that would uh, that no longer would natural immunity be a. Um, something that could be offered regarding um, you know a particular virus. So they're not done yet. We think that we're through no. this. They're not done yet, correct?
2: Oh, not not even close. They're not done at all. And it, and we know that they've got another one in the wings. Bill Gates keeps talking about the next the next pandemic, whether it's going to be smallpox or measles or something like that. that there's going to be one pandemic after another, after another, after another. And we know that there are bioweapons labs doing this gain-of-function research all over the world, at least 200 of them that we know of. So we know that there are bugs just, you know, like the nasty little viruses just waiting to be released. And, um, yeah, and we know that they want to get rid of a bunch of the population of the world in order to achieve their goal of... No more than one billion people on the planet. So that's that's in their own words. That's not us making anything up. That's us reading their documents.
1: Yes, it's chilling. And it's still even when you say that and I've seen it, it's still unbelievable to me because it's I mean, we see these two different visions that are so separate. And that is uh, one that looks at, at humankind as valuable. Uh, and that's the the American idea in our um, declaration that all men are created equal because we're created in the image of God. And because we're creators, we can address these problems out that, that come forward in a positive way. And then there's these others that they look at uh, at uh, limited and scarcity and destruction and destroy. I mean, what's the opposite of the word create? It's destroy. I mean, that's what it is. These are two different worldviews that are, you know, at uh, you know, at, at a big battle right now, um, Dr. Jill.
2: Well, absolutely. And remember, in Obamacare, there was a huge section called comparative effectiveness, and this is already used in Sweden and and the UK and other national healthcare systems, when they look at your age, how many years of life you're expected to live, how many more years you're expected to live, according to actuarial tables, and they look at the cost. If you get a cancer, they look at the cost of treating that cancer, and they put a dollar value on how many years they expect you to live, well, and then they look at those two numbers. Well, let's see. No, because you're not expected to live that long, you are not going to, uh, you don't qualify for us treating your cancer. So you don't get a treatment, you don't get a surgery, you don't get a hip replacement, blah, 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 because it's not really going to be financially worth our while to pay for that, because now the government gets to make those kind of decisions. That was in Obamacare, folks. That was in legislation that our government passed. And you, if, you, if you don't believe that they would be more than willing to let people die of any disease and deny them treatment based on something that was in Obamacare from 2010-2011, you know, folks, the, you know, depopulation is a lot easier to believe When you know that they've already passed that
1: legislation, well, and I remember us talking about that, uh, and that was back, you know, back close to ten years ago. Yeah,
2: right, right. And they had to backtrack; they had to not enact a lot of the stuff that they were going to do. They were. We went to. I you went to the debate that I had on the the,
10: there
2: was some committee that was going to be that was proposed in Obamacare. All this stuff was passed in this legislation. And then because people found out about it and started talking about it and exposing it, they had to put those things on hold. But they're they still there, lot right? They a changes in Obamacare, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's still in the legislation. But they didn't, there were a lot of things they chose not to enact Yet. for one reason or another.
0: Yet. And Yet.
2: comparative effectiveness was one of them. But, folks, they passed it. They passed that legislation. That was in Obamacare. That's what they wanted.
1: You know, and what is so unbelievable is that uh, people that signed on it and voted for it, they didn't read it. We have got to get to a point where uh, our politicians, they're supposed to be elected uh, representatives, where our elected representatives will not bring anything to a vote until people have read it. And it is... um, I think that's malpractice as well, to pass legislation that they have not read. So we've got just about a minute left. Dr. Jill, how do you want to button this up?
2: Well, when you think about it, most of the stuff that happened during COVID, Congress had nothing to do with it. The, the, place, the place that we are at now as a country is executive orders, bureaucracies with rules and regulations, uh, somebody like Anthony Fauci at the CDC virtually making laws just by opening his mouth as long as we have complicit big corporations and complicit physicians or employees you know we, 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 folks we got to learn to start questioning everything that we're being told every, everything absolutely everything that we're being told by our government or media, we have to question absolutely everything and stand up and fight back.
1: Absolutely. Dr. Jill Vecchio, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate the conversation. Take care, everybody. Happy New Year. And my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you and God bless America. Stay tuned for our number two. And I don't
9: want no one to cry, but tell them if I don't survive, I
0: No!
1: world of hurt.
0: Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation.
1: Indeed. And welcome to the Kim Munson show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there and you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. Thank you to all of you. uh, All of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And, my friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff uh, with force, whether whether or not that is with um, uh, weapon policy, unpredictable in excess of taxation, fear of coercion, government-induced inflation, the World Economic Forum, Davos Globalist Elites Agenda, or 87,000 IRS agents that I'm sure are being hired so that they can answer your calls quicker. Uh, so I am really excited to this week we have recorded some really wonderful shows and I'm excited to have on the line with me Nathan Wooster. He is a reporter at The Epic Times and the Epic Times is really, I think, doing a fantastic job uh, with a lot of journalist uh, journalism integrity. And Nathan, it is great to have you. Welcome.
2: Hi, great to be here.
1: And uh, you've written, uh, there's several things I want to talk with you about. But the first is a piece that you recently have written regarding nuclear fusion. You said the nuclear, nuclear fusion breakthrough touted by the White House is drawing praise and some skepticism. So where what do you uh, people need to know about this?
10: Sure. So I think uh, it's possible that some of the listeners saw headlines recently talking about what occurred at this national lab. The lawrence livermore national lab in california and specifically at this uh, facility called the national ignition facility or nif this was a big deal um, and i want to put that in context it's part of a series of important experiments in some respects uh it's fair to say that the timing for this announcement may have something to do with uh the ongoing debate over the omnibus bill just generally over government spending uh but at the same time it it's important i think to understand that generally speaking what they've what they've done here it is bigger than any one um momentary uh budget related dispute so basically they have this array of 192 lasers so they they use those in this technique called inertial confinement fusion. Uh, There's a different technique that I'll get back to later called uh, magnetic fusion. Uh, Inertial confinement fusion, though, is uh, in this context, a means of attempting to convert these uh, isotopes of hydrogen, deuterium and tritium, into helium. And so what you wanna do uh, in order to achieve ignition in some form is you want to produce more energy than you put in so in this case they were able to document that they put in about two megajoules of energy and they got out about three megajoules and again i think it's important to understand the context the lasers that were able to induce this they themselves are running on a few hundred megajoules of power so in this case uh ignition the term that they use is referring to the uh little pellet of hydrogen uh of uh, deuterium and tritium and that pellet was able to produce more energy than it received so
1: what powers that, these
10: lasers yeah, looking not too technical
1: okay i i appreciate that and and yeah you're, i can tell that you're trying to make it understandable for somebody like me what what powers the lasers
10: so that's a good question. Um, I think the lasers are driven by just uh, regular uh, power from the grid. I could, however, be mistaken. Okay. Uh, so, so this system is different, as I said, from magnetic fusion systems. Uh, a very well known example is this ITER, uh, it's an international collaboration, kind of like the, you know, if you've been following. Uh, National labs in the U.S. or the European labs um, focused on particle physics, where they have uh, you know enormous uh, particle physics facilities. So in this case, what you do is you have these magnets that are in place of the lasers. They are meant to uh, essentially focus uh, focus energy on a uh, pellet and uh, get more energy out of it than they put in. Okay. And so, <laughs> at the risk of again getting too technical, there's the two um, main branches of fusion research. Uh, you talk to people who are involved in, you know, the ITER, they will claim that that's closer to something commercially viable. On the other hand, if you speak to people working on, uh, laser, uh, inertial confinement fusion, they will point out that this was the first instance in which, uh, ignition was achieved. There's arguably, um, nothing quite at that point for, um, for magnetic fusion.
1: Okay, so on the political side, in your headline you said that it was touted by the White House and it's drawing praise and then skepticism. So on the political narrative, what are we hearing with this?
10: So that's a very important point, something I want to drive home to your audience. I think it is very important to get across the distinction between a scientific discovery, scientific research, and something that is close to uh workable engineering to a commercial system that can actually be used to power our lives so i'm going to back up again and just talk about the overall context of this work at at livermore this according to at least one person i spoke with a veteran of princeton's plasma physics lab which is one of the big hubs for fusion research the bigger moment came arguably in august of 2021 when this essentially the same team demonstrated something uh, called propagating burn, which, and I don't want to be too confusing here, but some people also call that ignition. Other people are skeptical of the use of that term. Propagating burn basically means that the various forces that are cooling down that pellet are not able to swamp the forces heating it up. So it's a prelude to uh, this later ignition that was achieved. And in fact, a few months ago, uh, it seemed as though the team Achieved something quite similar. So uh, these these more recent results, in a sense, come close to validating what they've been what they've been doing and what they've been getting close to over the past several years. Now, returning to the distinction between the scientific result here and the engineering and commercial side, recently there's been a, a great deal of attention paid to the notion of uh fusion energy being commercialized over a very short time frame the biden administration specifically is making claims about fusion reactors potentially being on the grid as early as the 2030s and to be fair uh at a recent senate hearing that i attended there were uh, also scientists also researchers who were willing to make that claim on the other hand as i think we all understand at this point even important um big science uh can involve some kind of uh, uh let's just say incentives that are not always aligned with those of the taxpayer. <laughs> People who are more critical of fusion, they will point out that we've been told about fusion reaching us, becoming a workable energy solution uh, in 30 years. And then another another 10 years passes, and we're told it's all 30 more years away. So um, probably the most telling moment at the press conference came when uh, the Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm, She suggested that this uh, recent discovery could indicate that a commercial fusion reactor is achievable within 10 years. Of course, uh, the actual head of Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, um, who you would expect to have more familiarity with what is actually happening in in fusion, what is realistic, had suggested that commercialization is more something that, if it's going to happen, would happen over a timeline of
1: uh, many more decades Fascinating. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go to break, Nathan. I'm talking with Nathan Wooster. He is a reporter at the Epic Times. But before we do that, as you know, I am an independent voice. And I appreciate all your support, as well as I have these great sponsors. And the Roger Mangan State Farm Insurance Team understands there are unknowns that can keep you up at night. And that is why Roger Mangan can also help with life insurance and health insurance needs to replace lost income. Call Roger Mangan at 303-795-8855 for a complimentary appointment. And like a good neighbor, Roger Mangan Insurance is there.
9: I can't believe I just scratched that card. Find my insurance card.
3: Dude, what do you have in this glove box? Ew, are these socks dirty?
9: Oh, uh, forget about the socks. I need my insurance card.
3: Just pull it up on the State Farm mobile app.
9: But I can do that? Oh, hey, I can do that.
3: Yep, it's called service. I can file a claim on here, too? Yeah, it's, it's called service.
8: Whoa, I can call my agent,
3: too? It's called service.
6: That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N, dot com. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson M-O-N-S-O-N, dot com.
1: And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M O N S O N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there and you can email me at Kim at Kim dot com as well. And uh, we have worked diligently to pre record these shows for Christmas week uh, and just amazing informational shows that we have for you. And we're talking with uh, Nathan Wooster. He is a reporter at the Epic Times. And this whole fusion thing is absolutely fascinating, Nathan.
10: Yes, no, it is. And I hope that I haven't oversold it. I hope none of your uh, listeners think they're going to get a small fusion reactor under their tree this Christmas. (laughs) So, uh, you know, joking aside, it's exciting. It really is the notion of near limitless power, whether you're concerned about something like carbon emissions or the scarcity of oil and gas. I'm not going to weigh in on that myself. But on the other hand, if you're less concerned about that, if you're primarily concerned about ensuring that, Our civilization is prosperous that it's able to grow and thrive for decades centuries um even longer then yeah the appeal of this it is very hard to overstate the notion of um near limitless energy that produces very little radioactive waste Uh, in a sense it does seem like you you come close to uh, um you know i don't want to say a faustian pact but uh overcoming some of the limitations that you know in retrospect might have struck a peasant at the time of the industrial revolution marveling at the notion that uh suddenly with access to coal with uh, the sudden development of technologies humans were overcoming what seemed like insurmountable limitations so at least to me I, i'm not a complete techno optimist but there's a part of me that is very excited about this there's another part that looks to the, the skepticism which I think is warranted when it comes to fusion. Um, And I I spoke with a number of people, including people who are pro-nuclear, who are pro fission as opposed to fusion, who will say, among other things, that there has been considerable research on fusion for many, many decades. But the notion that we're all that much closer to a commercial reactor, from their perspective, is um, that that they're more skeptical of that. They're more inclined to think that uh, it's better for us to invest our resources in uh, you know the many demonstrated reactor technologies and in um, advanced reactors which in many cases are considerably safer than the uh, extant light uh, water uh, fleet that uh, in the United States at least is uh, dominant and aging very rapidly.
1: Interesting now again this is a total novice question We talk about nuclear, so I'm thinking nuclear fusion is the same as nuclear. Is that correct?
10: So they're slightly different. And, you know, that's a very good fundamental question. So the notion of nuclear fusion, it's, I think, exciting and also illustrative to understand that it's what's happening in our sun. It's what powers it. Uh, These hydrogen isotopes being used to... uh, generate uh, the energy that ultimately powers everything on our planet. The very first fusion wasn't actually found in, by humans. was not first demonstrated in a laboratory. It was demonstrated in a thermonuclear weapon. So uh, an important point i like to hit on is that this NIF research, this government research is closely tied to work on thermonuclear bombs. Um, we stopped underground testing in the 1990s. This research is a way for um, for us to continue to test those capabilities while not actually detonating the weapons. But basically, fission, that's the splitting of an atom, um, and that's uh, enough to release energy in a way that we you know, were able to reliably uh, reproduce in a, a variety of forms, generally using uh, various isotopes of uranium, although there's also ways to use uh, this fertile, mildly radioactive element called thorium. Uh, fusion, by contrast, you know, is the name that implies this combination of, uh, combination of isotopes. So I hope that's a, a good elementary explanation. And I do want to emphasize that I'm a, I'm a reporter. I'm not a uh, nuclear engineer. But uh, well, fundamentally, one thing to keep in mind is that we've, we've had fission reactors not just on the grid in the United States for a long time, but, but they've been used in numerous nuclear submarines. You know, they've been... Um, they've been taken down to you know incredible depths and pressures. They've been scaled on, on you know various um, on various scales, uh, used in various uh, places, and they're uh, they're pretty durable. They're uh, by most metrics the safest or one of the safest uh, forms of energy. And uh, at least if you're going by carbon emissions and land use and some of those other big factors that environmentalists uh, care about, they're. Uh, Generally,
1: uh, the greenest or one of the greenest. Okay, Nathan, this is a unique question. I I know I uh, I have some friends that uh, out here in Colorado they're very concerned about the electric grid, and that they uh, in fact one of my friends is the director of the Colorado Electromagnetic Pulse the EMP Task Force, and so we're talking about nuclear fusion. And the grid, but if we don't do something about the grid, isn't there a, a, a problem? Because we still have those grid vulnerabilities. Yes,
10: definitely. No, there's there's vulnerabilities in the grid. There's vulnerabilities in our our pipelines. If you remember the the hack of the Colonial Pipeline, it's something uh, actually that House Republicans in the upcoming Congress, if they have a majority, they they say that they're going to look into through oversight and through other means. Uh, I've actually just finished a number of conversations with uh, Republican congressmen, uh, as well as congressional staffers and some energy experts who uh, have uh, interesting informed perspectives on this. Okay. So uh, I, don't, I don't want to alarm anybody, but at least based on what I've been able to ascertain, yes, our grid is extraordinarily vulnerable. There may be ways in which we're saved by our you know, American decentralization or uh, maybe disorganization is another way of putting it, but you know, absolutely, um, cybersecurity and just the, the maintenance of the physical infrastructure. Those are those are big. Continuing
1: issues. Well, I remember when little municipalities had their own power plants, and now everything's been centralized. And you just mentioned decentralization, and there is, uh, I think, a, um, a microgrid out in Rangeley, Colorado, that, uh, and I think that they did get a government grant to work on that. But, I mean, into the future, conceivably, you said that submarines have these nuclear reactors. Is that Did I hear that correctly? So,
10: Yes, to if you look at the nuclear sub- submarines, and in fact, um, the, a lot of the most uh, knowledgeable people, if you want to learn about nuclear, are veterans of our uh, of our nuclear naval uh, naval fleet.
1: Okay, so I'm just thinking of a way to protect everyday Americans because if we we have these vulnerabilities in the grid, and there is either an attack or something by nature happens and disrupts that, it could be very bad for human flourishing and, and prosperity. Ultimately, if, if you could have a, a nuclear reactor on a submarine, could you have a nuclear reactor for different little communities, which would protect them from a disruption in the grid?
10: Well, that's a very interesting question because there has been a great deal of interest in recent years on smaller nuclear reactors. Um, one subtype that you'll often hear about are small modular reactors. I was uh, able to attend... An energy conference in Alaska a few months ago, where there was a, a series of presentations from some of the companies working on these, suggesting that they produce power on the scale that could potentially uh, serve as a, a decentralized microgrid or something similar for some of the more isolated uh, Inuit or uh, other communities out out there in Alaska. So I think I think yes. I mean, for the most part in the United States, we're hampered by fundamental issues having to do with the The cost of building anything in this country, to put it frankly. Because
1: of um, rules, regulations, regulations. and all. Yes.
10: Absolutely. I think your audience will really enjoy or, or, you know, kind of bemoan this. But uh, under the Trump administration, there was actually a law passed. uh, It's called NEIMA. And it was specifically intended to basically tell the nuclear uh, regulatory people to, you know, pick up the pace to make sure that as we're getting these really advanced, in many cases, small, scalable, very safe uh, nuclear reactors, they should develop licensing processes. They should develop ways to approve them faster, to make sure that we're actually able to move into this future where some of these options are more realistic. And just a few months ago, um, there was a response released from the NRC. I'm going to ask you to guess just how long do you think their draft proposal was in response to this request to basically simplify what they're doing?
1: oh i don't know 40 pages
10: oh multiply that many times this was over 1200 pages
1: to explain why they couldn't speed things up
10: (laughs) um well it was their attempt to offer uh regulations for these these advanced reactors Um, according to the breakthrough institute a commentary from um, an analyst there named adam stein they hacked on a lot of their old regulations a lot of the stuff that you know, although in, in some contexts it could be argued that they're they're useful from the perspective of many people, um, not all of them need to be preserved. They, they tacked more stuff onto that basically. So <laughs> the NRC continues to uh, continues to be kind of an intractable force. On the other hand, there's there's a great deal of momentum um, from both parties actually on nuclear in general, and um, considerable momentum from from industry. I should mention that just in the uh, nuclear fusion world, there's been an explosion of startups. Um, billions in private capital that has been parked in these startups. So not simply government grants, but actual private capital. Um, you know, if if you're a little more cynical or concerned about the economic outlook, you could reasonably ask: Is this kind of an assets bubble thing that we're looking at? On the other hand, um, th- there has been you know meaningful progress there. There's been uh, considerable progress and in, um, private investment. In companies such as TerraPower um, and many others uh, in the fission nuclear space. Uh, so well, really, there's, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism on this technology. It's just, unfortunately, um, in the U.S. in particular, it's very hard to, to get things done.
1: Yes, when uh, they're asked to streamline something and they come back with 1,200 pages, uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientists to figure <laughs> out that this is a problem, Nathan.
10: <laughs> Neither rocket scientists nor nuclear engineer.
1: Yes, for sure. So, hey, we're going to go to break. Another one of my great sponsors is Hooters Restaurants. They have five uh, five locations. It's Loveland, Aurora, Lone Tree, Westminster, and Colorado Springs. And they have all kinds of specials for lunch and for happy hour, Monday through Friday. Great place to get together to watch the games. And it's an interesting story how they became a business partner of mine. It happened when I was on city council uh, 2012 to 2016. And it's really a story about freedom and free markets and capitalism. You can find that at my website. That's Kim Munson monson.com we will be right back with Nathan Wooster
5: 3 points financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at 3 points financial specialize in investment strategies tax planning and preparation and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions tax laws have changed and will continue to change inflation is real Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan, while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com.
6: No matter how you define it, inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at KimMunson.com. That's M-O-N-S O-N.com.
1: And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson dot com. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We look at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And uh, really thrilled to have on the line with me Nathan Wooster. He is a reporter with the Epic Times. The Epic Times, I think, is doing a great job regarding... uh, uh, reporting they, When they report, you know it's a, a, a report. When it's an op-ed, you know it's an op-ed. And if it's a human interest story, you know that that's what it is. And so there's a lot of journalistic integrity there. So, Nathan, it is just great to have you on the line.
10: Thank you so much, Kim. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. It's uh, gratifying to know that, uh, that, you know, the reporting is uh, able to inform people rather than simply hitting them over the head with a narrative. Which Ab- I think everybody's very been very frustrated with journalism over the past few years.
1: <laughs> you think <laughs> yeah i think and that's where the epic times that's the great thing about uh, 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 the creativity of, of people, of, of everyday people to step forward and they see a need. And the Epic Times has become extremely successful. So it is you're doing a really good job there. But I wanted to ask you about uh, these new House Republicans and energy. And I do a lot of shows regarding health and hydrocarbons. And it is abundant, reliable, efficient and affordable energy that really helps uh, uh, fuel uh, human prosperity and uh, people being able to thrive, and of course, the Biden administration—first thing that, or one of the first things he did—he shut down the Keystone XL pipeline. We're seeing all this inflation because of these these public policy decisions that are being made, and there seems to be a glimmer of hope that the now that the House, the Republicans have taken the the House of Representatives, and what do you see for energy on this, Nathan?
10: Yeah, I mean that, that's a good way of putting it—that there is a glimmer of hope. I think that it is important to be realistic that under uh joe biden presidency much of what the republicans would push in terms of a positive agenda uh for example efforts to specifically reopen the keystone XL pipeline that may be an uphill battle right um, on the other hand I, I think that the fact that joe manchin uh, although he, he's gotten a lot of criticism from republicans after his uh schumer mansion bill deal he is someone who still can be um, from the perspective of uh, hydrocarbon advocates you can be reasoned with, and then the um, independent status of uh, Senator Sinema. Uh, I think those those are factors worth keeping in mind. I think it's also worth keeping in mind that um, at least one congressman speculated to me that President Biden could pivot to the center on some of these issues. I certainly wouldn't hold my breath, but uh, given the conditions when it comes to energy, uh, that wouldn't necessarily surprise me. Um, I think that one thing to look at is oversight. There's going to be uh, on the various House committees and subcommittees charged with oversight, a lot of interest in interrogating the Biden administration over some of its moves. For example, from the perspective of American oil and gas producers, there's been a sense that they're under attack. Uh, The American Energy uh, Alliance, uh, this organization, produced a list of 125 actions against American uh, oil and gas and coal uh, just between the inauguration of President Biden and, I believe, October of this year. So you have that happening at the same time that uh, Biden attempts to uh, boost or maintain oil production from Venezuela and from Saudi Arabia. And certainly in the case of Saudi Arabia, he's very publicly... uh, (laughs) I don't, I don't want to use the strongest word that I could, but uh, he's certainly not able to get the foreign policy response that you'd expect from the sitting president of the United States. Um, meanwhile, of course, we, we can't possibly spend enough money on uh, the war in Ukraine, as Americans list energy and energy-related concerns, very basic dollars and cents stuff among their top priorities, among their biggest problems. So I think oversight, can at the very least be a bully pulpit for Republicans, and potentially, depending upon um, depending upon what can be done, depending upon how the money can be traced. In uh, some cases, it could be the basis for something more than just uh, just rhetoric.
1: And we're we're going to be doing a show on this, but. Uh... Uh, Republicans typically have been terrible at messaging. How could they successfully message uh, as they're going through this oversight? Because I I think a lot of people are not connecting the dots between Biden's policies and what they're paying at the gas pump out here. I'm hearing a number of people that their energy bills to heat their homes are doubling. And to me, it's clear that it is because of bad public policy. But we need to connect that dot for busy people that are out there just trying to live their lives lives Nathan
10: yeah I mean that's that is a difficult question how do you how do you help people make their connection not just on the public policy side but also when it comes to environmental social and government ESG scoring uh, that is being used in some cases to potentially knock down the creditworthiness of states or otherwise being them even if they have their financial house in order by any of the conventional metrics so it's, it's a very unfortunately it's a very insidious thing um, it's backed by a lot of money. Uh, it seems like a whole heck of a lot more money and power than uh, fossil fuels. And it's backed by a, a very successful PR campaign. So you, you, uh, what I'd say though, is that one, one particular item that I was uh, alerted to is a recent uh, transaction involving a company that appears to be entirely or primarily based in China Uh, something like $200 million, uh, and it involved the Department of Energy. The oversight people on the Republican side in the House, I think, have a position to draw Americans' attention not only to what's happening in terms of uh, their pocketbooks, but also national security concern.
1: So so let's talk a little bit more about ESG. Uh, And first of all, you said it is very well funded. Any idea where the money is coming from on this, Nathan?
0: Well, some of the
10: bigger culprits are the major asset managers, Vanguard, State Street, BlackRock. They have been pretty heavily committed to uh, ESG. In the case of uh, BlackRock, famously, CEO Larry Fink has, over the past few years, been sending out an annual shareholder letter and he makes some fairly uh, aggressive requests of uh, the many companies in which BlackRock has a stake. And uh, more or less the message is if you don't adopt these uh, views or these policies in relation to climate change in relation to fossil fuels, um, then we are, as this massive participant in the market, we're going to reconsider doing business with you. Uh, and that that's against the backdrop of, I would say, a somewhat successful campaign by a lot of individual US states to basically respond in kind to say, okay, you know, if you're going to make it that much harder for um, these uh, companies in our state to be able to get financing, to uh, be able to provide the jobs or the uh, um, general prosperity that they do, then we are not going to be doing business with you. And in the case of Vanguard, for example, they were up until very recently signatories to this United Nations I believe it's the Asset Manager Net Zero Alliance or oh something oh <laughs> boy. like that. But they, they, they actually left that in response to this. Um, there's another bank that, uh, that has backed down somewhat. You know, it was previously making, I, I want to be very precise in what I say, but they, they were essentially saying they were not going to fund new coal plants. They were going to be very, very restrictive um, with any funding related to coal. And now they've softened their language as well. there are some there are some successes on this on the other hand another story I recently reported was the adoption of this uh, in in the form of a request for public comment this very ESG style language from the federal reserve if you look further into it you'll see that a whole range of these federal level banking regulators are moving in a fairly coordinated way the Biden administration uses this term whole of government approach so it seems like Depending upon the success of these measures, we could reach a point where, at every level, the financial system, and very specifically the banking system, is uh, is regulated along the lines of these, uh, uh, these these climate and carbon worries, which, you know, e- even if you consider that so, so serious, um, there's a very strong case to be made, to, to say the least, that that shouldn't be the business of the financial system when making decisions that seem like they should be purely focused on financial metrics as we understand them.
1: Well, I've looked at BlackRock as a bit of a bully regarding all of this. And then I uh, I don't watch much television, but typically I might watch some of the evening news shows. And I find it interesting that BlackRock is advertising on some of the more conservative uh, stations about how they care about people and you know trying to do a real feel-good campaign. And I imagine they wouldn't be spending money on that if uh, these pushbacks by these states have, has not been effective.
10: I think that's absolutely right. Um, there is a counter narrative now, and it itself has a PR campaign. Uh, so it, it's very interesting to see on a cultural war issue like this, um, maybe it's not purely a cultural war issue, but the sense that uh, there, there are combatants that can, uh, that can fight back. And it seems like it could provide a, a blueprint on some of these other major issues uh federalism in the form of individual states coordinating with each other that's uh potentially a means of um not just uh, addressing some of these energy issues or policies uh to which makes me object but uh, you know on a whole range of challenges where it seems as though the federal government is steering the government uh, steering the country aggressively in a direction that the you know even if not the majority of people but a lot of people don't like or find to be overly coercive, then states can can form uh, alliances, can can coordinate in various ways to uh, to resist that.
1: It is such an interesting time that we're in right now, Nathan Wooster. And so let's go to break. Uh, he uh, is a reporter at the Epic Times. And before we do that, nonprofit that I care so much about is the USMC Memorial Foundation. And they are raising money to remodel the Marine Memorial out at 6th and Colfax. And it is uh, just a great thing to be able to help them to do that. And you can do that as well by going over to USMCMemorialFoundation.org and making a contribution. They're in their fundraising stage right now. And you can also buy a brick for one of the walkways uh, to honor your military service or your loved one's military service, and you'll get a beautiful certificate for that. And again, all that over at USMCMemorialFoundation.org. That's USMCMemorialFoundation.org. We'll be right back with Nathan Booster.
9: Every family needs a healthcare team that has your child's best interest as the priority and Roots Medical is proud to offer exactly that. At Roots Medical, we strive to empower and educate both parent and child about the importance of gut health, how to implement healthy changes in the home, and of course, all of the benefits that come with a fully optimized immune system. Same day and sickness appointments are available and easy to schedule. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. That's R-O-O-T-S medical.net. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your
4: healthcare concerns. You want a gun, ammo, and outstanding training, so Franktown Firearms is the right place for you. The trained staff is available for your questions and will give you the freedom to browse their large supply of firearms and fully stocked ammunition without any pressure. Your comfort level in the store is their priority. You'll get expert answers, whether you're buying or not, every time you visit the store. You want a knowledgeable gunman, not just a salesperson, when you're thinking about buying a firearm or learning how to use one. You can trust the staff at Franktown Firearms. They don't make commissions on any sale, so you know they are looking out for your best interest. They are sure that you will leave with a smile because no matter what your needs are, they will help you to be confident in your decisions and purchases. Their low tax rate and at or below MSRP cost will keep you smiling. Visit klzradio.com slash franktown today. That's klzradio.com slash franktown. Frankdown Firearms, where friends are made.
1: And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You will get first look at our upcoming guests as well as our most recent essays. You can email me at Kim at com. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force. Force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And uh, very pleased we've been working diligently to pre record these shows between Christmas and New Year's with amazing guests. And uh, just thrilled to be talking with Nathan Wooster. He is a reporter at the Epic Times. Uh, First segment, we talked about nuclear fusion. Uh, We've talked about uh, energy here in America, ESG. anything else? What do you see coming down the pike here uh, in 2023 with the House and the Senate regarding energy for us everyday regular people?
10: Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it is, and I hope I convey, it's worth being a little bit skeptical about the idea of the House being able to push through a lot of legislation. Uh, one person I spoke with, uh, Mark Murano of Climate Depot, emphasized that It is important at least from the gop's perspective to provide a blueprint for the country and for the 2024 election season Um, on the other hand it's worth noting just what some of the priorities are and just what we could potentially see uh, or at least a version of what we could potentially see so one piece of legislation that you perhaps noticed before one that was introduced in february uh, just after the russian invasion of ukraine was the american energy independence from russia act so that That was aimed at ensuring that federal oil and gas leasing um, would not be stymied. Specifically, it would require a plan for additional federal oil and gas leasing to be released before permitting more withdrawals from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It would also approve the Keystone XL Pipeline. Uh, Generally, uh, legislation aimed at approving the Keystone XL Pipeline or similar infrastructure. That's something that um, many members of the Republican caucus have uh, have tried to advocate. Uh, this particular bill was uh, co-sponsored by more than 140 House Republicans. Worth looking out for it. Uh, Another one worth paying attention to is the transparency and production of American Energy Act, called the TAMP Act. And this comes from Bruce Westerman, who's the ranking member of the House Natural Resources Committee. So it, it's meant to be comprehensive. Uh, again, aimed at oil and gas and in this case, uh, offshore oil and gas leasing is part of the picture. And another uh, major theme is trying to find ways to expedite an environmental review for pipelines and for similar energy related projects. So I think that, as, as I've been saying, you know, there are these efforts underway. It will be interesting to see um, if some, some elements of this are ultimately incorporated into, for example, the omnibus bill, depending upon what happens um, McConnell made it clear that he had some support for that 1.7 trillion dollar bill, but McCarthy has uh, come out and he's positioned himself against it in its current form, which I think is very interesting politically. Certainly, the House has uh, more more independent-minded, more um, conservative members, and it is uh, worth noting that McCarthy is still, uh, according to some reports, locked in negotiations um, in. In his effort to become speaker of the House, he is um, possibly making some concessions to uh, some of his colleagues, and you know this might be part of what we're seeing. Is McCarthy striking a more uh, defiant pose and um, potentially building in elements of uh, an energy agenda uh, into what ultimately will emerge from the House and Senate?
1: McCarthy, my understanding is, <clears throat> is that at least recently he did not have the votes to become speaker. Uh, and that's going to happen, what, right after the first of the year, that particular vote, correct?
10: Yes. Yeah, he's been challenged by Andy Biggs. And my sense is that he will be elected. But again, with, with Biggs and, you know, there's talk of Trump running for speaker. There's there's definitely um, a lot of grassroots opposition to McCarthy. I would say that uh, people looking for for a speaker, for for a leader who's more responsive to them, I think they will probably have more luck with McCarthy in the House than they will with McConnell in the Senate. So, uh, and I wanna bring the conversation back to oversight hearings, because again, um, just about everyone I spoke with said that oversight really does present the best means for, in this case, a minority house uh, against a Democratic Senate, Democratic president, to at the very least get things on the record. I think that's, that's worth keeping in mind. Even if you're not able to, you know, get all the results you want in terms of policy over the next few years, it's good to, for example, get some answers about that company that I mentioned. It's called MicroVast Holdings. Um, $200 million awarded to this lithium battery company with uh, operations, uh, largely in China. And, uh, the same people on the Energy and Commerce Committee who are pursuing that, They've also tried to get answers in the form of document requests regarding the, the very rapid, uh, pretty much unprecedented drawdown of our SBR, this critical resource that is always supposed to be used in emergencies, but that arguably has been uh, abused over the past few months. They're seeking answers on that, as well as on the push, if you remember, from the Biden administration to declare a climate emergency. And we were speaking about the grid earlier grid stability, grid security, all those related issues, which I think is this winter storm bears down on us. We're all pretty acutely aware of. Uh, they're also this committee making requests on actions pertaining to the grid by the Biden administration. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say for, for your listeners, and I would say for, especially any students and journalists out there, it's worth you know looking to that, um, looking for some of the, if you have any Freedom of Information Act FOIA requests that you've made that you've been tracking It's good to get some answers on this stuff on the record. It's certainly what I'm going to be looking out for as a journalist.
1: And are you located in Washington, D.C.? Are you right there near the Hill, or or where do you work out of?
10: So I'm based in Chicago, but I'm I'm in D.C. periodically and uh, across the country periodically as well as I report on, you know, primarily energy and uh, environmental stories, although uh, I'm actually moving on to uh, different beat. Uh, onto national politics, so great. Will, it'll involve these issues as well.
1: Uh, yeah, it'll involve quite a bit. Nathan, I remember the first time I went back to Washington D.C. I was just in awe. I was thinking about the American founding and George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, and just just thought, oh, this is this is the, this is the center for freedom. And then I got into this radio business, and we started watching what's going on, and I went back to Washington, D.C. a few times. And the last time I was there, it's like, instead of thinking it's this magical place for freedom, it's like, I need to take a shower. (laughs) Because (laughs) uh, as I really have thought about what's happening now, and it's so frustrating, but I'm encouraged that the American people, and again from some of the great work that the Epic Times is doing, that, that the the mask is coming off, the veil is coming off on a lot of this, and people are understanding these issues more. And as truth uh, is is brought to light, uh, I am very encouraged about that, Nathan.
10: Well, I'm glad to hear it, and I would say I, I hope I'm playing some part in that. You know, the, as you mentioned, there is the uh, the Epic Times, everyone that I'm uh, privileged to work with there are many other many other citizen journalists many other journalists i would say many many activists i would just mention for example what uh um james o'keefe does with project right Ritossi. great stuff one example there's people working in more more theoretical areas trying to understand exactly what what our system of government is because it certainly describes itself as a republic but when you look at some of the portions that are not answerable to the people directly i'm thinking here of the mainstream media and the way that it seems to almost function as a branch of government in some ways, and also the administrative state, all these, um, in some cases, independent in other cases, heavily controlled by the president agencies that can be used to, to enact this stuff. I think, I think that's something that you're, um, I I would hope people are are paying attention to, but I don't think it's a reason for despair. I think it's, as you said, the basis for a lot of, uh, a lot of greater consciousness and hopefully, uh, hopefully solutions.
1: Well, definitely. And the American people want solutions. Okay, I'm going to throw something out here and tell you that you basically have about a minute on it, but that is Elon Musk and Twitter. And again, we're pre-recording this, so we may have new developments on that. <laughs> what do you think about that?
10: Oh, I, I, think, it's, I think that it's worth... I, I'm a journalist, so I'm always trying to be guarded and a, a little bit... Um, I want to I want to be able to respect both sides on um, for example uh, the, the questions about the profitability of uh, Twitter and for that matter um, you know you can you can raise reasonable questions about Elon Musk's uh, connections to uh, Chinese manufacturing and the, the Chinese state but the big picture thing is that he has done more than the Republicans have than any party has to reopen the public square then it, it seems like an utterly unprecedented thing in the past decade and a half i think that for a lot of people um there's there's new optimism about freedom of speech not just as a, a, a right more in theory than in practice on these incredibly powerful social media platforms but something more like uh, open discussion actually taking place it's uh i i think it could be i think it really could be a turning point In some ways, I I certainly hope that he's able to maintain an open platform and avoid conceding to pressure, because I'm sure he's under incredible pressure.
1: I'm sure that he is as well. Nathan Wooster, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. And you are a reporter with The Epic Times. This has been just terrific. Thank you.
10: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Glad to to speak with you. Hope we can speak again soon.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I wish you a very prosperous 2023.
10: You too. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year in just a
1: few days. Absolutely. And my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals and like Superman, stand for truth, justice and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you and God bless America.
9: And I don't want no one to cry, but tell me.